Welcome to The Road to Rural Prosperity, featuring stories about rural Oklahoma and rural America. Guiding us on the journey today is our host, Ron Hayes. Well, thank you, Billy, and welcome to yet another edition of The Road to Rural Prosperity. So happy to have along with us today, State Representative Trey Caldwell from District 63, representing parts of Comanche and also Tillman County and the state legislature here in 2021. Had the opportunity to sit down and have a phone conversation with Representative Caldwell from his offices in our state capitol in Oklahoma City. So on the road today, we're at the capitol. We're talking to Trey Caldwell. We're being brought to you in part by Union Mutual Insurance. And we'll be back with Trey Caldwell as we talk about a bunch of stuff going on at the Capitol right now that has impact on rural Oklahoma and rural America in just a few moments. Howdy neighbors, Ron Hayes here for Union Mutual Insurance of Oklahoma. Union Mutual has served the insurance needs of rural Oklahoma for over 80 years. And I'm excited to tell you about a premier product that we've introduced to serve your insurance needs even better. Our town and country policy is new and here to save you money and offer you true protection for your property. When it comes to protecting your property with a company that you can trust, give your local agent a call and tell them that you want Union Mutual's town and country policy. At Union Mutual, we care about your protection, not your politics. The Oklahoma Rural Water Association. They've been representing water and wastewater systems across Oklahoma since 1970. The Oklahoma Rural Water Association was formed to enhance the quality of life in rural Oklahoma through the development and delivery of services and programs for the benefit of ORWA members and the rural people they serve. Here on today's edition of The Road to Rural Prosperity, very happy to have along with us from District 63, State Representative Trey Caldwell, representing uh, Tillman County, parts of Comanche County as well. Representative Caldwell, thank you for joining us today. I know you're in the leadership uh, in the Republican in the majority. Tell us about that. Tell us about your role and your committees that you're involved with uh, here in 2021. Uh, so so my role right now is uh, Deputy Majority Leader, um, essentially help helping members raise money, helping um, uh, working on the leadership team, on the floor team, uh, trying to find good legislation, trying to be a, a voice for rural Oklahoma and production agriculture up here at the Capitol is kind of my main uh, main role. And you, you've got uh, seats on several key committees. Uh, uh, agriculture, of course, is one, but also on appropriations in that natural resources area, which has, has oversight over agriculture as well. Uh, yes, sir. And then uh, also the vice chair of um, uh, business and commerce and making sure that, uh, you know, agriculture, agribusiness is, is vital to Oklahoma and, you know, making sure that we have a voice on that as well. You're, you're involved with uh, the redistricting effort uh, here. Now, every 10 years we do that in, in you know, connection with obviously with uh, with the census. But uh, you're uh, the uh, what the subcommittee chair or the uh, subcommittee the chair for the subcommittee for the southwestern part of the state. Uh, tell me how that how that how that is actually going right now. Uh, so so far, you know, we've done the uh, public input uh public input process and so uh, we had a, close to 18 meetings all the way all the way all across Oklahoma everywhere from from Lawton to Woodward to um, um, Durant just just about it just about everywhere where we could people could uh, easily access and come and uh, put their feedback in we're trying to gather all that feedback and um, um, try to take it into consideration and how do we uh, 
you know, what people want and, you know, whether it's a sphere of influence, a community of interest, um, whether trying to keep counties whole, um, uh, political subdivisions, trying to keep them whole, uh, stuff of that nature, and trying to take all this massive amount of input from these, you know, close to 18 meetings across the state, um, you know, thousands of, uh, you know, data inputs. And then from there, we as a, uh, you know, as a chairman of Southwest Oklahoma, it's how do we make these districts fit? How do, how do we, you know, stay within federal guidelines? How do we um, make sure that we, we meet all, check all the boxes we have to, but how do we come up with these equitable and fair districts uh, while at the same point in time, you know, um, giving, you know, power and voice to the people that we represent? I guess for the uh, for the southwestern part of the state, uh, uh, several several uh, state representative districts and senate districts, uh, but also our uh, our congressional districts are impacted as well. Uh, yes. So uh, every ten years, once we get that apportionment number, which has been delayed from the federal government this year, normally we get that around February, uh, the year following the ten-year uh, census, and they're saying it's going to be somewhere later on in the year now um, that we we haven't gotten it yet. That official apportionment number and the actual uh, hardline data from the census, we're still working on uh, ACS uh, 2019 data, um, which was just released a couple weeks ago. And uh, but yes, on the congressional districts as well, trying to um, again take that public feedback um, and put it into a system to make sure that we have adequate representation in D.C. and here at the state capitol. Let's talk about some of the things going on at the capitol right now. We're we're making a good good headway toward uh, putting everything together. Uh, maybe a little more money than we thought we might have at the at the start of the uh, of the legislative session, and that's always a good thing. Uh, what you know? What are some of the priorities that uh, the leadership has got uh, in in the House to try to you know have a successful conclusion here in this twenty twenty one session? Yeah. So I mean, just to. The simple fact that coming out of a pandemic um, that we have a budget, a budget surplus is um, it, it really shows what Oklahomans are made of and, and our resiliency, our um, ability to get back to work. And, and one thing that we did that a lot of other states didn't do is we opened back up sooner, sooner and safer, and uh, we were able to uh, get people back to work much quicker than uh, you know other states, you know states in other states in our region. But also, you know, states across the state, you know, you look at New York uh, that has a, a $10 billion shortfall. And so one thing that I, I kind of want to touch on is the fact that, you know, over the last two years, we were, we were able to, with the rainy day fund and, and the discretionary savings account, we were able to save money. So last year when we had this, um, the pandemic, the, the, the start of the pandemic around this time last year when they came in and said, hey, we're going to have a billion-dollar shortfall, we didn't have to cut core services. Uh, we didn't have to cut things like the extension offices or, or you know, our county roads and bridges or our, our schools or anything like that. We were able to take that money out of that savings account and, and use it. And since we got opened back up, we end up not having near the shortfall that we thought we were going to have. So we do. We do have some excess uh, capital. Um, you know, one of the things I'd like to see us invest in more in is, you know, our, our county roads and bridges. Um, I think that's, you know, vitally important to get, uh, uh, you know, food to market, fiber to market, and um, our, our agricultural products here in uh, rural Oklahoma. Um, but as for house priorities, um, you know, when, anytime, you know, the state uh, isn't in the uh, – 
the business of saving up a bunch of money and having to, we, we need a good solid savings account. But at the same point in time, if we have extra revenue, we need to repatriate that back to the citizens that pay that. So I know that um, we voted on a, um, a tax credit that uh, would essentially refund some of that money, some of that excess money that we had. I know that's one thing we sent over to the Senate. I know some other priorities this year are rural broadband and making sure we get money into that. And, um, you know, those are some of the, those are probably two of the bigger priorities. And then again, one of my biggest priorities is um, trying to create and figure out ways to get more access points in rural Oklahoma uh, for medical services. You were, you were telling me that uh, you, you have as a high priority trying to, to deal with that, uh, that rural health care access that we simply, uh, we, we've got to do that for our citizens. Yeah, correct. So, and I, and I tell my colleagues up here that are from Tulsa and Oklahoma City, and a lot of times that, you know, they they like to quibble and argue about, um, you know, cost of care or um, what the best way to properly fund sooner care or, or something along those lines. And, and I try to to relate to them that you know most people in rural Oklahoma, you know, our our issue is that we don't have facilities, we don't have the access points. Um, we don't have the access to to as many doctors as we need in rural Oklahoma, and so what are some programs that we can do to tool that will insinuate the creation of access points to insinuate doctors moving to rural Oklahoma to practice uh, practice uh, medical care or um, med- how do we get more medical professionals whether that's CRNAs or um, that's one, the, one of the big priority bills last year that that passed or how do we protect our rural pharmacies and our you know um, our eye doctors our dentists and, and stuff of that nature how do we protect those guys how do we incentivize them to come and practice in rural Oklahoma this is an issue that uh, really predates the pandemic. We, we've, we've been kind of in this crisis for a while in the rural parts of our state. Yeah, yes, 100%. You know, uh, I think the pandemic has helped shine a light on the issue. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, you're exactly right. It's been a problem that's been accruing over the last 20 years um, in rural Oklahoma with the just – which goes back to somewhat of the, you know, the demographic and the population ship, you know, population, population shift um, that needs to be addressed. And, but at the end of the day, we still have, you know, close to 25% of, of Oklahomans live in, you know, west of I-35. So they need access to care. Just, you know, my big thing that I always talk about is the Frederick Hospital situation. You know, you're a, you're a 45 minute drive to a 50 minute drive. You know, if you get your hand caught in an auger and, you know, you need emergency care. And, you know, so that's something that, um, you know, we need to work on those access points. And again, incentivizing getting doctors back into rural Oklahoma. And, and one program that has done that is the, uh, uh, blue coat to white coat program that was founded uh, it's up in Oklahoma State at their medical facility in Tulsa and and Dr. Casey Shrum this has been one of the things that she's pushed is let's go get these ac- we're at, at some point we're going to have to grow our own doctors and uh, my prede- one of my predecessors uh, Representative Don Arms always talks about it and uses Trent Medford from Frederick Oklahoma as example you know local guy goes off to medical school and then we get him back and now he's you know a family care uh, family uh, practicing doctor there in, in Tillman County. So we're going to have to grow our own, but we're going to have to incentivize and help our kids, you know, get in those programs, making sure they have the resources that they need so they can reach their full potential. And uh, we're all going to have to be in it together as rural Oklahomans. 
I know that uh, it's good to see uh, members of the of the House working with the Senate, and you you indicated to me that you're uh, working now with Senator Kidd uh, in regards to some juvenile care uh, a facility in in the, the southwestern part of the state. Tell, tell me about that. Right. So um, you know, with OJA, which is um, Oklahoma uh, Oklahoma Juveniles Juvenile Affairs, um, they essentially incarcerate. Uh, kids that have lost their way and um you know in a normal situation if they were older they would be um, incarcerated in doc the department of corrections um, but due to their age and them being minors they are not and so we have one of those facilities in manitou oklahoma and about five years ago uh, under the fallon administration um there was a push to consolidate oj's footprint across the state and so those are for your high security. Uh, there's a, essentially a high security facility there in Manitou, and there's like two other uh, facilities in the state. The highest ranking, uh, the the best results, um, the, when you talk about staffing personnel that have the best tests, the, the best scores, the best reviews, they're all in Manitou, Oklahoma. And so me and uh, Senator Kidd have been trying to work on how do we keep – how do we allow those um, those those folks to continue on their mission set? How do we uh, – they're doing really good work. How do we keep that facility open uh, in some way, shape, or form or capacity? And so Oklahoma currently contracts out with uh, group homes uh, from out-of-state companies, about 16 of its group homes. And we've kind of figured out that we could have about four of those group homes there at that Manitou facility with very minor changes to the facility. Um, and so that would enable that facility to continue upon its mission set um, while also saving the state of Oklahoma money and keeping that facility in western Oklahoma. That way, if there are kids in western Oklahoma that uh, go astray, um, the goal of o- OJA is to keep them from reoffending and ending up incarcerated in DOC once they become 18 and once they leave custody of the state. So the best results are that is when kids are closest to their home. They're close to family support if they have it, and then they're also they also need to learn a, a skill. And so we have a great Votech facility there um, that's co-opted with the state that is there on site. It teaches these kids when they kids leave Manitou, Oklahoma, they come out with the skill. Whether that's welding, whether that's cutlery, um, whether that's IT, and so that way um, they're not they're not near as likely to end up uh, reincarcerated. So at the end of the day, obviously, this is something that could be very positive for uh, for rural rural folks uh, if they've got uh, got kids in this kind of a situation to help them uh, basically uh, get get them back to where they can they can get back into normal life, get back into school and all those things as a juvenile. Correct. Yeah. So it, it it's basically the best program in the state, the best facility in the state at, at taking young people that have have went astray and then turning them into productive um, members of society. How do we get them back integrated into society where um, they're a value add instead of a value detract to right. society as a whole? Okay. Well, one other thing that the, the the governor actually brought this up that is a state of the state back at the beginning of the legislative session, and it's kind of been t- talked about quite a bit since then. We've got, uh, I think it's uh, House Bill 2078, which is the uh, the measure that uh, basically – uh, is is looking at maybe adjusting that number of years that a a school district can claim a particular uh, a student on on their on their their records. Where where do we stand on that particular measure? So House Bill twenty seventy uh, is already passed out of the House of Representatives, and and so it it's it's really a two bill package. There was two bills 
and, and the first one, which was ran by Representative Brad Bowles, uh, was essentially allowing for open transfer. And what that did is essentially, uh, and, and, and in Western Oklahoma or in rural Oklahoma, um, open transfers, you know, already de facto, um, if not de jure. So what it would do, it would say that if the, if the receiving school says has enough uh, space or has enough um, um, capacity within their school district, um, a, someone that is in a neighboring school, if they want to provide their own transportation, can transfer into that school. That's what the first bill does. The second bill that was the sister bill to that um, lets that money after the second year follow that new student quicker. And this was predominantly done due to the epic situation. So when we had the pandemic, you see this rapid rise in enrollment in epic in some of these other uh, online charter schools. And so the state of Oklahoma for the next three years is going to have to pay off this high watermark where we're having to pay them double the amount of money that they are actually they should be getting because all those kids, once the pandemic's over and the schools open back up, those kids, those children started going back to the brick and mortar schools once those schools open back up. Mm -hmm. So it's how do we get the how do we get the monetary resources to the school where the child is actually going to? How do we get that money to the school district? that needs it because they're actually educating the child. And so those bills work in tandem. Uh, they don't go into effect unless both of them become law. Um, but, uh, that's, that's essentially what, uh, you know, 2078 does. And then I forget the other bill number for the, uh, transfer, but those are sister bills. So at, at the end of the day, this is something we're just trying to make sure that uh, the resources are there, uh, where, where the student actually ends up at the end of the day. Correct. It's, it's, it's trying to, more properly um, get the resources where they're needed, trying to be more efficient in how we allocate uh, the state resources um, for the overall educa public education system. Know that, uh, you know, as we uh, come up to the, uh, the latter part of the, uh, of the legislative session, more attention is start, you know, starts to shine on that uh, appropriation process and exactly where the money is going to end up uh, that's been, uh, you know, basically uh, put together the the plan and the appropriations committees. Where where do we stand on that, uh, 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 Trey? As far as getting that done and done uh, successfully to be able, you know, to adjourn on time as we're required to do. Yeah, so we're we're required by the state constitution to adjourn sine die uh, before the first day of June. And, um, and and our only constitutionally required um, obligation. Uh, as legislature is to have a balanced budget. You know, the state of Oklahoma is not like the federal government in the fact that we can't print money, we can't borrow money. Mm -hmm. You know, if we don't have it, we can't spend it. And uh, if we don't have it, we either have to do two, one of two things. We either have to cut somewhere or increase revenue, which increased revenue is code for raising taxes. So, um, you know, the budget process is, um, is ongoing. I think the negotiations, you know, between the, um, the three legged three-legged stool, um, like they like to call it up here, where you have the governor has valid input, you have the Senate, and then you have the House. And I, I think they're close. From what I've heard, not to be too optimistic, I, you know, somewhere in the middle of May is kind of when they think they'll have that process done. We just, last week or two weeks ago, we just passed a House of Origin deadline. And so those, those budget negotiation talks are really starting to, to come to fruition um, with our uh, budget chairman, Kevin Wallace, and uh, our vice chair with uh, with Kyle Hilbert from uh, Bristow. 
Um, and so they're, they're, they're starting to have those conversations with the Senate, putting together numbers. So the way that process is done, there's about 10 or 15 sub-budget chairs. Um, you mentioned one of them earlier, which is Natural Resources, which is uh, chaired by Dr. Carl Newton from Alfalfa County. Um, you know, and so he'll come up with a number with his committee for his, you know, seven or eight programs or departments that are underneath his purview. And then he'll submit that to the overall uh you know, budget committee, AB, AB committee, and then they'll start to build a budget that way. And so it's, it's a ground up approach to building the budget. And I think we're on track. Okay. Finally, you know, just a word about, about your, your role in, in the legislature. Why the interest? Why? And, and, and are you enjoying it? Yeah, I do. You know, I, I'm very passionate uh, about, you know, public education in rural Oklahoma. I'm very passionate about access to health care because those things affect me and my community. And, uh, you know, I'm one of the few guys up here that's, you know, actively involved in production agriculture. We have custom hay operation, registered cow operation, and, you know, raise alfalfa and wheat, uh, like so many people in western Oklahoma do. And, uh, you know, I, I was just kind of got to the point where I wanted to see someone like me in the legislature. So I decided to run. And, you know, I've been I've been blessed. I've been elected twice now. Uh you know, got elected uh, in the end of 2018, took office in 19. I just started my uh, third year up here, uh, second session, third year. And uh, But, no, it, it's been a great thing. I've always been um, attracted to politics because I think it's uh, a means in which normal people can have um, um, say in their government. And uh, I encourage every young person that comes through my office or every time I'm, you know, at a cell, uh, you know, a cow cell or, you know, FFA cell or a pie auction, I try to encourage those young people, you know, get involved. Your your opinion matters. Your life matters. And, um, you know, but you have to you have to grab the horse by the reins and you have to, you know, you have to make it known. You have to go work. You have to put the work in. And uh, that's always been uh, really successful for me is just, you know, you put the work in and, and then the product follows. Thank you, Representative Caldwell. Representative Trey Caldwell from uh, the southwestern part of our state, District 63, which includes uh, Tillman County and parts of Comanche County as well, representing those folks in the southwestern part of our state. And appreciate the opportunity to visit with him about a variety of issues going on right now uh, within the state legislative session. That's all of our time for you today on this edition of The Road to Rural Prosperity. We'll see you soon down the road. Thanks for joining us for today's Road to Rural Prosperity podcast. You can join the conversation about how rural Oklahoma can prosper by looking for us on Facebook. And you can find our growing number of conversations on our website, ruralprosperityok.com. The Road to Rural Prosperity podcast series is a production of the Radio Oklahoma Ag Network and OklahomaFarmReport.com. Proud to be a part of the family of the funk companies.